to Seeing Beyond Risk, a podcast series from the Canadian Institute of Actuaries. I'm Chris Fivoli, Staff Actuary, Communications and Public Affairs at the CIA. Our episode today is one of two episodes where we plan to discuss the topic of cyber risk. In a future episode, we will be discussing a CIA research paper on the topic, but today we want to look at cybersecurity risk management from an ERM standpoint. Joining us today is one of the experts in the field, Sim Siegel, FSA, CERA, is the president and founder of Symergy Consulting in Manhattan and a longtime friend of the CIA. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chris. So let's start off by asking, from an ERM perspective, how would you assess the current state of cybersecurity risk management? Well, if you talk to uh, chief information security officers, there's two two main complaints. One is that there's there's seemingly an endless, uh, growing, evolving list of, of of cyber risk coming at them. So how how to prioritize their focus from all these uh, myriad cyber risks? That's that's number one. The second challenge that they have, the frustration that they have, is once they think they know what they want to to focus on and mitigate, they have trouble making the business case to get the funding for their mitigation decisions. Those are the two main problems. Okay, let's start off talking about the first one. You mentioned there's a seemingly endless and evolving set of cyber threats out there. Can you tell us more about why organizations are having difficulty prioritizing their focus? Sure. Uh, the The problem is not with the people. It's more with the approach that they've been handed. And, and it, it mirrors the issues that are in the broader enterprise risk management in terms of the traditional approach uh, that people take. It, it's very similar. And there's there's in terms of assessing the risk and quantifying it, there's three major types of methodologies in attempting to try to quantify cyber risk or any other operational risk. And the first method is to give up, to just throw your hands up and don't, don't do it. Just just give qualitative treatment. So this is the red, yellow, green, high, medium, and low type of approach. And that that doesn't really help. Uh, you know, because if I come into your office and I want, uh, you know, we mentioned getting funding for projects. If I want to get funding for something, I say, look, if we do this mitigation, then, you know, this, this aspect of the risk goes from amber to yellow. This one goes from yellow to green. This one goes a little bit more red. Uh, should we do it? Well, you don't know. You throw me out of your office because you need numbers. Even if they're estimates and confidence ranges around that, uh, red, yellow, green is not going to help you. Nobody's made a major decision uh, based on that. So that method just doesn't work. A second method uh, is to borrow anecdotes, essentially, is take industry data. So we know maybe some other firms have had this uh, happen to them. And so what did it eventually cost them? And there's some industry studies on that. And and unfortunately, this has two major issues with it. One, it's often inappropriate. And I, I talk to CISOs about this all the time. You, you, the way a, a cyber risk washes through, and it's the same for all risk, the way it washes through your particular organization, how it comes in with the people that you have, the defenses that you have, the systems that you have, and their interconnectivity, the the type of brand you have in the market and how the media is going to treat you and the downstream reputational knock-on effects and impacting revenue in other parts of your business, what type of mitigation you would do post-event, what type of PR spend you have, uh, uh, rating agency reactions, rating agencies, regulators that you have and how they're going to act on you are all very, very different and they're unique. And so it's inappropriate to take data from somewhere else and apply it to your organization. A second aspect is, uh, even if it were appropriate initially, which it's, it's not, uh, it's static. So if you're taking a, 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 an assessment that comes from an estimate from, from some external data set, 
And now you've taken other actions in the organization. You've changed your systems or you updated something or you've added mitigation, you've added insurance or, or this, the environment has changed. How should the metric change? Well, it can't because you're stuck with it until they come out with a new research report a year from now. It's just not going to help. So that's static. And that's something that we all want is to have real, true, updated to the minute dynamic risk metrics that reflect the exposure. I mean, it's required by ORSA, but it's also something we, we definitely want. So that method two doesn't really work either. The third method is the one that's more apparently rigorous, uh, but more almost mathematically disingenuous, which is to set up risk capital. Uh, for that. And and the way this works at a lot of organizations is you know, sort of based on the Basel method that most banks that are not large, that they say set up 15% of net income and set that aside as capital. Well, the problem with that is that it's absolutely arbitrary. It's not based on anything real. It's not reality-based. And even further to see the problem with that is setting up risk capital, the amount of capital that you have to set up for operational risk in general and cyber is part of that is often it can be directionally incorrect and the way to see that is imagine if you are the uh the the manager of, of a business segment and uh they say look you know you're doing a great job growing the business can you also manage the you know cyber risk for us uh, over the next year and you do a great job everybody agrees you've dramatically decreased the risk and all the things that you've done uh you know you've uh, you centralized the, the access, you, you, you walled off parts of it, you got better mitigation, you got more insurance, you trained your people, you got more advanced, ready to go post-event mitigation plans in place, uh, but you've also grown the business. Congratulations, the Basel approach says you have to increase risk capital. It's going in the wrong direction. And there are people setting up billions of capital on this basis for operational risk in general, but a large amount on, on cyber risk as well. And it, it doesn't really, it doesn't help. It's not a method that really does much. Okay, so what can organizations do to overcome this? What I've seen work and what I recommend is uh, a value-based approach to, to enterprise risk management in general, but uh, to a value-based approach to cyber risk management. And just quickly at its core, what is that? It's defining risk as anything that causes uh, a deviation from what you expected in your baseline strategic plan and the trajectories of the cash flows and metrics that result from that in a multi-year way. And to think about this, also not just in a downside uh, way, but also an upside way. So rather than uh, thinking of risk as, well, do we have any losses? It's not just losses, it's sub-optimization of the plan. Anything that doesn't, because we, we're, we have to hit plan. We're all accountable to hitting our strategic plan goals. That's everybody's paramount and focused on that, whatever those goals are. So value base starts there and says, well, what do you value? For corporations, for you know, for-profit for organizations, it's typically, value and an internal estimate of value is let's uh let's let's look at that and the mo what the erm model in the value-based way does is it projects out in a dynamic way your baseline strategic plan cash flows revenue fixed expenses variable expenses taxes uh, change in capital get down the distributable cash flow do a projection out through the strategic plan period out beyond that and discount back at the cost of equity capital. So present value discounting of distributable cash flows. That's what the company's worth. We have to protect the value of the organization. So looking at, and if that's what we value, then it really focuses people to quantify risk in terms of how can we move that both up or down 
in terms of the risk reward exposure profile that we that we have. And you know, insurance companies typically will look at uh, not just that, but of course, uh, RBC ratio or maybe revenue cake or net income cake or whatever whatever you care about, whatever you value, whatever you incent your senior most executives to to achieve that goal, that metric. That's the value base attached to that. Measure risk as any deviation from what you expected to achieve in a multi-year trajectory on that metric, uh, both up and down, and, and look at that. So one of the steps is, of course, to do this model that I mentioned to, to quantify this and to, in, in a baseline way and then look at how risks may change up or down uh, and move the needle on that, on that metric. Uh, the risk scenarios that you would use as shocks to that, uh, scenarios, not stress tests, full uh, holistic reality-based uh, risk by source uh, scenarios, is to sit down with subject matter experts as initially and use uh, what's called a failure modes and effects analysis approach, FMEA, FMEA approach. This is an adaptation from the manufacturing sector. This is more about, uh, you know, to simply put, this is sitting down and saying, imagine some deterministic scenarios. What could happen here, starting with an incredible worst case, maybe a moderate downside, a mild downside, are there any upsides here? And walk through how, what would be the originating source? What would happen next? How would you react? Uh, how quickly would you react? What would competitors do? Uh, how much would you spend to you know, overcome this? What would what would the external stakeholders like rating agents, regulators do to you? You have to think all that through and how it would play out in the market and then how you'd recover and, and put those shocks into the model to quantify the impact. Once you capture that from subject matter experts, you can then you then vet it in the organization to strengthen the uh, the accuracy of those estimates. So that's the general approach. Risk is uh, changing the baseline uh, plan metrics that you care about, and then you can you model it with deterministic scenarios developed with subject matter experts. This overcomes the traditional approach weaknesses in cybersecurity risk management that we talked about. The first one is you aren't stuck with this, you know, throw your hands up, qualitative, red, yellow, green, no one's going to make a decision based on this. You actually are quantifying the impact quantitatively with estimates and confidence ranges around it, sure. But you're also, what you're doing is you're quantifying the impact to value. There's never going to be a stronger business case than demonstrating what the change in value is. That is a very, very strong support. So that overcomes that problem, the qualitative method. We mentioned with another method, this method two is industry data is inappropriate because you're a unique company, how it washes through you. And we mentioned the static nature of using industry data uh, assessments. So in this case, you've got, uh, you're not relying on something that's inappropriate. You're, you've got something that is very company and situation specific because you have the internal subject matter expert uh, that's opining on this. And it's also vetted by others in the organization. So these are the people that are closest to the business, they're closest to the risk. And that's very powerful. It's much more accurate. What's also a very powerful part of this is that rather than, okay, we've made changes and we're stuck because we have a, a industry data a static number. No, no, you don't have that. You have your subject matter experts. You already have documentation of what their assumptions were of the specific scenarios, how it would play out, the quantitative impacts of different pieces that you can put into the model and quantify on the metrics. You just go back to them. And say, look, you know, this just changed in the environment. This just changed internally. We're about to make this decision over here. We just added this mitigation. How do you think this changes? Or oh, the regulators now increase the fines here. How does this change our situation? They can go back and revisit those and say, yeah, okay, this now is not even possible anymore. This one is much more likely. This this will now affect a broader part of the company. You can quickly get that. And the really key part of this is the quickness of it. And 
make those changes and then requantify it. The other aspect we talked about, so so it's uh, it, it's very it's very uh, so it's company situation specific and it's dynamic. So it solves the problem of industry data. The third method we mentioned was risk capital. It's arbitrary and often directionally incorrect. This, in contrast, the value based approach to cybersecurity risk management is risk based. It is a, an accurate uh, estimate of the risk, and it's more accurate in the deltas. Right. So any estimate of the risk is just an estimate. It is what it is, but we know that accuracy goes up in terms of the delta. So when the risk goes up, the metric goes up. <laughs> when the risk goes down, the metric goes down. That's a very nice thing to have, uh, and it is not present in that, uh, that uh, Basel approach of 15% of uh, allocating risk capital, 15% of, of net income. That's uh, uh, you know, a very poor way to do it. So this overcomes that, that uh, aspect. What, what's also true is the result of all this, of what do you get out of it? You get a clear quantitative ranking of the severity impact of the individual risk scenarios. Quantitatively, you can, you can put it all on the same page. So you can just compare side by side, the, you know, the likelihoods are factor in two, but it's very powerful when you can show these bar charts of some larger uh, impacts on metrics. And when we put up metrics that everybody cares about, it really motivates and you can see and make choices and really prioritize the limited time, attention, and resources we have and focus on that, which mentioned a big problem that uh, the CISOs have. But not just among cyber risks, not just really sort out, okay, these specific cyber risks, so that particular actor going after that asset with porting it out with this kind of an income and outcome, uh, outcome in this kind of a way, this is going to have that approach uh, impact us, and here's why. And, and we can see which ones, and it jumps out. Some ones that we didn't think were high may come out to be higher. Others that we thought were higher are crowded up by others and fall lower. Uh, it's really interesting to see that play out. Secondly, really interestingly and powerful for the, uh, the CISO is to be able to show, because it can be integrated on the same basis in the overall enterprise risk management approach if you use a value-based approach. So the CISO can say, look, look at the top 10 risk scenarios that hit the, the company. Three of them are, are cyber risk. Maybe now I can get the funding for this, this the mitigation that I wanted. We can knock these down and we can show you how, how, to, how much it gets knocked down in terms of likelihood or severity. So that's a really uh, attractive feature of this approach. All right, let's go back to the second challenge you raised at the start, uh, which is the inability to make a business case for mitigation decisions. I think you've touched on this a bit already, but uh, maybe give us a bit more information about the issue and what can be done to address it. Yeah, yeah, you're right, Chris. That, it's true. I did uh, mention that a little bit, but the, to go a little deeper, I would say there's two aspects, uh, two main aspects uh, to making risk, risk decision-making work. Uh, in a cyber risk management, and also broader. Do the metrics that you have support decision-making? And in traditional traditional approach, remember, it's not, it's not the fault of the CISOs that we have or uh, CIOs, it's, it's the methodologies that they've been handed. The traditional cyber risk management methods are usually qualitative only. And when they are quant quantitative, or at least somewhat, there tend to be only risk, uh, only the downside. They are a part of a methodology that only looks at the downside. And if, if, if the risk folks are always coming to the decision makers with let's do this, here's how it protects the downside. If we don't have a way of speaking the language of the risk reward and the impact on value, it's, it's not gonna move people. They, are, they do not get the funding that they want all the time. And it's very frustrating to them. Uh, in contrast, a value-based approach, it doesn't have the problem of usually being qualitative, it's always quantitative. 
you have the metrics impact, the key, the impact on the key metrics that you have for the organization for every single type of cyber risk. I don't care what it is. It can be put all on the same basis. And again, as we said, can be compared to other risks in the organization, which helps. Also, we're not stuck with just the downside. We show the change in value, which again, as I said earlier, is the strongest, most rigorous business case you could ever make. And that tends to get people's attention and to get gets funded. The second aspect is, uh, and this is a very human part of it, risk is not just about the numbers, as we know, right? It's about the people, right? Uh, so, so getting buy-in is really important. In traditional cyber risk management and enterprise risk management programs, typically they're corporate-driven. They're just often have an ice, the inputs come from an isolated group. They're doing the modeling or making a lot of the assumptions. And it doesn't get a broader involvement. And often it's more compliance oriented. So it's more of a checkbox and people don't pay as much attention to it. We've got to do it. We show it to some stakeholders, show it to the board, but there's not as much action. It's not uh, as exciting as it could be. Uh, it's not really revealing its full promise to inform risk reward decision making and broader business decision making. In contrast, when you have a value-based approach, you are reaching out to and involving getting input from subject matter experts that are in the businesses that are closest to those businesses. And so it is subject matter expert and CISO driven. And when people give the input, not only do the estimates get better, of course, but the buy-in gets better. Because when people are part of something, they don't resist it, they cooperate more and they attach emotionally to it and they'll support it, which is the right thing for the organization as well. Uh, what's also true is it, it supports what the subject matter experts and the CISO want to do. It supports their goal. It's not more of a, you know, they're more used to, a, okay, you're going to collect information from them. They're worried you're going to handcuff them from taking, you know, things that they need to do. Uh, that's not helpful. When risk folks come in that negative way of just don't do this, don't do that, that's not appreciated. But what happens is when you're able to show them when you sit down with them, this is my favorite part of the work, you sit down with them to develop these scenarios. And the uh, they start to give you information, you start to explain how you're gonna use it, they get more comfortable because they get to see the outputs of the model, get more comfortable with what you're doing, it's, you know, it's cash flow, uh, delta, oper you know, uh, function, they get that. But at the end of the process, when they've given you the scenario, you say, okay, now you ask them, is there any negation that you would plan to do or that's upcoming or you wanted to do that might change this scenario and, and the outcomes? And, you know, about a quarter to a third of them will bang their fist on the table and say, yeah, you know, you know we wanted to do this, like, you know, put this additional mitigation, hire additional people, uh, buy a new portion of the system, better protections, whatever it is. They say, but, you know, we couldn't make the business case and corporate wouldn't approve it. So you're in a position then to say to them, well, maybe we can help you because this this model and approach is not just downside protection only it's real language of value maybe we can see where the edge of our risk reward equation maybe this risk is orthogonal to another risk and it's going to affect it in the organization the edges are maybe we can help you support those they make the business case argument for because it's written in the language of business case which is delta value change in value now their shoulders come all the way forward now they really buy into the process because they realize that you're helping them get done what needs to get done, what they know needs to get done. You're helping them achieve their goals, protect themselves and the company, keep their job and get paid. And when you help people do that, you make a lot of friends in the organization. So you're doing the right thing for the organization and you're also getting the buy-in that helps you uh, move everybody forward in that methodology. Okay, sounds good. Uh, let's wrap up by talking about case studies. Uh, do you have any examples to share mm. on how value-based cyber risk management supports decision-making? 
yeah, good question. I can answer, I can give you a couple that I can think of. Uh, one was uh, just a quick short uh, anecdote is that there was a, there was a Silicon Valley uh, company that approached, you know, Summer Jane said that, look, can you apply the value-based uh, approach to our InfoSec risk management? Now, so I, you know, I'm not an InfoSec risk expert, right? I'm an enterprise risk management expert. I, I have a broad expertise in enterprise risk management and methodologies. But of course, I also come across, uh, you know, uh, InfoSec risks all the time. Uh, you know, cyber risks are often, you know, they're in the top 20, 30 for virtually every organization. Uh, I know how to quantify them, help them sort it out, help support decision making on it, help them think about it in a way they hadn't before. But this project sponsor that I was dealing with, uh, the one that hired me, he was a deep expert just in InfoSec. Uh, he had come formerly from Google. He had a couple of patents to his name and sort of very young guy. And when we were finished doing this project, the project sponsor's boss said publicly that that the firm, uh, the organization had was now head and shoulders above where it was before for infosec risk management. And I say this because it really bodes well for actuaries. Now, actuaries, we're risk folks. It's it's in our DNA and financials are in our DNA. So linking the two you know, the, the discounted cash flow methodology, it's all straightforward. Uh, I mean, there's obviously nuances to this, uh, but but we have deep expertise and a natural you know DNA towards risk, but also we speak the language of risk and reward if we can get the language of a methodology to express it properly. So I think there's a wide open field for actuaries to go into this area and help. Again, these folks are deeper experts in that specific field, but we're experts in risk. And so I think it's a very exciting kind of case study. Uh, a second example um, I can give you is a, is a major U.S. telecommunications company that I uh, was doing some work uh, for and on, on uh, these types of risk, InfoSec risk management. And before we finished, the uh, project sponsor's boss came to us and said, look, and I think it was like in seven, seven to 10 business days, the president of marketing and sales is gonna be meeting with the president of the, com of the company and they have to make a major decision. And this is uh, the, collectively the banks were renegotiating their contracts and they were saying to the telecom, look, you handle uh, data, our, our client data as well, our customer data as well as uh, voice. So we want you if, you, if you have a data breach that exposes our client data, we want you to be on the hook for unlimited liability and we're not, we're not gonna pay more for it. And so there were hundreds of millions of profits at stake, not top line, it's bottom line, major decision. And they said, can you help us inform on this? And they thought, well, you know, the three options were, do we do nothing, call their bluff maybe, but potentially lose, you know, a portion of the hundreds of millions of profits that these customers represent, uh, or do we agree to this and then suffer the ultimate consequences of these breaches and the costs, or do we do something in between? It's guaranteed minimum standards that if we violate that. And they said, can you help us sort this out? So the answer is, Yes, which is really nice because the value-based approach aligns with risk-reward decision-making, which supports business decisions. This was a major business decision. So the answer was yes, and the other nice part of the answer was yes, and we can do it quickly. So we were able to support uh, the information was provided way before the seven to 10 days out that the uh, president of marketing sales would be meeting with the president of the company. So we sorted out the assumptions and the information in there and provided. The meeting was too confidential. We weren't allowed in the meeting uh, with the president, but uh, the feedback we got after the meeting from the president of the company was, one, thank you very much. And two, this was uh, information we used to help make the decision we made, the business decision we made. And three, this is information we didn't get from anywhere else in the company. 
So uh, after that, as you can imagine, the project sponsor and his boss got pulled into more and more powerful decisions in the organization. And this is what I really love about the work. Uh, the people that use it in their organizations, the good work that all types of risk folks do, they haven't had before the legs, the reach that they should have, but they do good work. And this deals them into a higher, I said almost like a, a vacuum sound, pulling them up in the organization, putting them at major decision-making points and it puts them at that, at that discussion table where they should be. And I've had many uh, risk folks, uh, you know, audit from cyber risk, others tell, uh, enterprise risk tell me that, uh, you know, they're dealt into the strategy table often or strategic decisions or tactical decisions or transactions, what have you. So that's a really exciting part, I, I think, of that case study. Okay, that was great. Well, thanks very much for uh, taking the time to speak with us today. I, was, I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me, Chris. We now have over five dozen episodes in our podcast series, so we encourage you to subscribe. You can do so through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whatever platform you use to access podcast content. If you like today's episode, please leave us a five-star rating or a comment. And we would like to hear from you, so please send any suggestions or episode ideas to podcasts at cia-ica.ca. Until next time, I'm Chris Fivoli, and thank you for tuning in to Seeing Beyond Risk.